Hey, everybody. Welcome to the What Is Money show. I am thrilled to be sitting down today with the legendary fighter, Mr. Kenny Florian. Kenny, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, man. It's great. Great to have you here. I'm glad we're finally getting to do this. I know we've been talking about it for a while. Um, and, you know, as I was saying offline, don't have a big agenda today, but I wanted to just dive into kind of the martial aspects of life a little bit, maybe some of the philosophy and wisdom behind it. Yeah. And, um, you know, it might be useful in this case for my audience that doesn't, you know, know your background. Maybe you just start <clears throat> to give us a little high level overview of who you are and, and what you've been doing. Sure. Um, so uh, I come from a pretty large family. Um, both my parents were from Peru. Um, I grew up in, in out, just outside of the Boston area, uh, one of six kids. Um, so I had four brothers, one sister. So pretty, uh, you know, male dominated family for the most part. My dad was a surgeon, a physician. So he wasn't around so much. So my mom pretty much took care of all of us. So it was basically me and my brother's uh, causing a lot of havoc around the house. And, uh, you know, uh, my, my dad also did martial arts um, throughout medical school and stuff and thought it was important for all for all of us to learn uh, martial arts. And um, and we, we definitely did that, you know, since we were kids. And then um, I ended up getting back into it in college. I was playing soccer at Boston College. And I had heard about this event called the Ultimate Fighting Championship. And growing up, a, a big fan of martial arts movies and um, um, essentially when I heard about the Ultimate Fighting Championship, it was kind of a dream scenario for me in a lot of ways because it was truly going to define what was the most effective martial arts style. And that was kind of a debate that I grew up with amongst um you know my brothers like which is the best style is it a boxer is it a, is it a wrestler a karate guy you know we did karate so of course it was the karate guys that were the most <laughs> dangerous but you know it was all theory up until that point um and um you know uh that was kind of where we were going to find out who was going to be the best mar martial artist and um <clears throat> This uh, young, skinny Brazilian guy, uh, Hoist Gracie, would go on to dominate uh, in, in several events. And um, I started training jiu-jitsu while I was at Boston College. And, um, you know, it just kind of took a hold of me. I played soccer my whole life. and um, But at any time I did martial arts as a kid, I felt it was, um, it was almost like a spiritual experience. Mm. And... It would uh, ultimately lead me to um, competing in jiu-jitsu tournaments all over the world. And then I would, um, you know, fight uh, mixed martial arts. I ended up fighting in the UFC for several years. I fought for three world titles in two different weight classes in the UFC. Um, then did commentary. Um, I did um, color commentary for the UFC as well. Um, so I'm a commentator. I, I, I currently do commentary for... Um, an organization on ESPN called the PFL, uh, Professional Fighters League. I do commentary for a show on Discovery Channel called BattleBots, <laughs> uh, where engineers build robots and they kind of fight each other. Uh, and um, I have a podcast. Um, so I've, like my whole life kind of uh, revolves around fighting in some way, shape or form. 
uh, and uh, and I'm a Bitcoiner. So there, there you go. Hopefully, I <laughs> I summed it all up. I've kind of a long way to tell a short story. <laughs> well, that is, I think, the biggest fight in the world today is to just <laughs> yes, get the exactly. bullshit out of our money, right? Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. So, uh, what year then were you? Did you start with UFC? Because I remember as a kid watching it. And it's exactly what you described. They were matching mm-hmm. different styles, right? It'd be like a yes. boxer versus karate. And then after it was almost WWF like, they said the smoke and the um, yeah. kind of dungeon y look to it. And 100%. <laughs> a lot of theatrics. And then yes. over the years, it just became mixed martial arts. I guess everything blended together. Exactly. You know, um, so in the early days, it, 1993 was their first event. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of more about. It really was a marketing ploy for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu more than anything else. It was, hey, we have this grappling style where we have real fight experience. We've been in several fights or hundreds of fights over the years. We've defined a style that is very effective against all forms of combat, whereas other martial arts, it was all theory. It was, this is what we would do in these scenarios, but... um, They didn't really have this systematized plan, I guess Mm. you could say. Um, And they didn't have the experience of really like, okay, what would you do if someone really grabbed you? What would you do if someone was trying to punch you or take you down? Um, Whereas jujitsu kind of had all of those answers early on. um, Mm. And it seemed what happened was the answer ended up becoming, you need everything. You need Mm. to know how to grapple. You need to know how to strike. You need to know how to game plan. You need to be in great shape. You need to eat well. You need to mm-hmm. sleep well. You need to have a strength conditioning routine. So it ended up becoming more of a sport um, as opposed to a style versus style uh, type event. Um, so, you know, over the years, they ended up, you know, in the early days, there weren't really any rules. There were basically two rules. You couldn't hit someone in the groin. Uh, mm-hmm. Actually, no, I think you actually could hit them in the groin. You couldn't eye gouge and mm-hmm. like you couldn't pull hair or something like that. Like mm-hmm. there was like there were very, very few rules. Uh, whereas over the years, it became regulated and, and became more of a sport. Um, so it was fascinating to me because, you know, that was the first time that I had seen the martial arts really do what it said it could do. And that was have this little man defeat the big man. Uh And it was so different from how I had imagined it to be. You know, I, 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 you know, when my brother called me and told me that this Brazilian guy had won the UFC, I said, well, what did he do? Was he jacked? Did he just knock everybody out? And he said, no, he kind of just gets a hold of them. He grabs them and, you know, grinds them down and then just puts them in these holds and, and guys tap out. And I said, well, it was so uneventful. Like it, it was such a letdown. I was like, geez, and I went and saw it and I really wasn't a fan of it at first, but then I realized, you know, um, how powerful it was and how effective it was, or, you know, by proving itself, you yeah. know, and, and it wasn't about theory. It was about going out there and doing it um, and having a, a better game plan. And it was about intelligence and strategy and uh, ultimately really technique. Yeah, that's super cool. And um, interesting that, I mean, this is a, probably one of the most ancient sports, actually, right? I'm assuming. Yeah. I think Pancration, if you go back. Yeah, Pancration. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. But it was kind of absent from 
it just didn't exist before the UFC, right? We just had these different yeah. boxing and jujitsu, these segregated fighting sports. It, it was outlawed at one point, you know, it was, it was uh, considered human cockfighting and all that mm. stuff. So you can imagine when I told my parents that uh, <laughs> after I graduated from school that I, you know, I, instead of going to law school that I wanted to become a professional martial artist or whatever the heck that meant. Um, you know, they, they weren't thrilled with that, with that life choice. Um, and, and uh, you know, fighting in a cage and stuff like that was, was, I guess, far away from what they had imagined for me. But um, it was, um, again, it was something that was a, and it still is, it's this lifelong pursuit of evolution and Mm -hmm. um, struggle and um, getting humbled and um, just constantly evolving and improving and, uh, and learning from mistakes. And in a way it's, you know, very similar to uh, anti-fragility. It's, right. it's information so you can strengthen yourself. Yeah. Much like entrepreneurship or anything where you're sticking your neck out there, right? Taking risks, right. failing, absolutely, learning from the failure, applying those lessons, trying again, just iterating. And I, you know, what came to mind when you were describing that sort of I guess, childhood curiosity about what styles the best. We used to always pontificate too on like what animal, right? What, what a great white or a grizzly bear or a, yeah. or a lion, right. whatever. I still do, by the way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but there's some wisdom here that I didn't know at the time, but when I, I read Sun Tzu later on, I'll read one of these little quotes here of his, where he talks about terrain, like terrain is the first consideration in any engagement, you have to know what ground you're fighting on. And it doesn't have to be physical ground. It can be, you know, metaphorical, sure. what situation, what's the context, et cetera. But he has this quote that says, um, know the enemy, know yourself, no victory will never be in. Oh, I'm sorry. Know your enemy, know yourself. Your victory will never be endangered. Know the ground, know the weather. Your victory will then be total. So this whole idea of you know, winning through awareness, almost of a situation, you can't, as you described earlier, you need a strength and conditioning routine, you need to eat right, you need to sleep well, you need to study, you need to train like there's all this preparation that goes into the event itself, ultimately. Um, And it's kind of like the, the proverbial, you know, mass of the iceberg below the surface, all these things you don't see that I'm sure you've done a lot of in your career. And you just see the tip of the iceberg and and the fight itself. No question about it. And I think that's what kind of gave jujitsu such an advantage early on in that stage of style versus style. And while it still continues to influence mixed martial arts so much was they understood the terrain uh, much Mm. better. They understood how a fight develops and how you can drag someone into foreign territory to make them uncomfortable and to bring someone into your world. And, you know, whether it's, you know, large scale military attacks uh, or strategy uh, to one-on-one combat, I think one of the best ways to defeat someone is, you know, two ways you you either, you get them pinned in some way, shape or form, or you encircle them. Um, Mm. And that's a lot of what jujitsu did. They found the way to either pin you, right. Get your back up against the cage or up against the mat uh, where now your leverage to throw a devastating strike is now gone. Um, The closer I am to you, the more difficult it is for you to create that leverage and have an impact on your strikes. Um, And jujitsu fully understood that. Um, 
even if you go back, you know, to like World War II, um, the Germans were just, you know, wreaking havoc uh, throughout the Russian countryside until they hit Stalingrad. And they were so close to taking that city. But what the Russians started doing is they got so close to them that it took away a couple things. It took away mm-hmm. the Germans' ability to be faster than them. So now mm-hmm. they, they couldn't, that, that speed element was taken away from them. So their firepower was essentially taken away from them. And also their ability to bomb them was taken away because they were so close to the Germans that if the Germans bombed them, they'd be bombing their own troops. Mm. So they got so close to them um, and they literally, their strategy was kind of like, get up and hug them. That was almost how close they wanted you to be, where you could throw a grenade at them. You could shoot Mm. them. And they took away that firepower advantage of the Germans and ultimately, it, it's where they were able to hold them off enough until the rest of the Russian troops went around and encircled the Germans and basically trapped them. Um, wow. So, you know, th- there's a, a lot of different lessons in that. And, you know, of course, that's not the only way to win, but understanding the terrain and using those elements um, to slow down your opponent, it, it, it's significant. And the efficiency of jujitsu really is what. Uh, is such a marvel to me, which was so impressive. It's, you know, when you see a smaller man defeat a larger man and almost make it look easy, you, you say, well, there, there's, there has to be something to this. There's an efficiency going on. Well, what is that efficiency? There's a whole lot of physics and leverage involved in how you can incorporate the human body to really dominate another human being just by utilizing certain angles and utilizing leverage and mm-hmm. knowing where the weaknesses are, the body, where the strengths are and, and how you can um, control them and, and ultimately submit them. <clears throat> so interesting. I'd never put that connection together where, yeah, the German war machine, I think they called it the blitzkrieg, right? Lightning yes. warfare, move fast, bomb, just, but when you hit that wall of Stalingrad, it's kind of like, I guess going from a striking match to a grappling match in a way, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and, you know, I couldn't find this other quote by Sun Tzu, but he may, I'll just paraphrase the message here. He says something about never fight an enemy that has, that's been backed into a corner or has no, no means of escape because that's when their spirit reaches maximum ferocity and they'll just. Absolutely. That that's precisely what happened there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And it just, um, yeah, I mean, these are really important lessons. And I, I love the term leverage too is really important because it has this physical connotation when you're actually fighting people, like, what, you know, do you have the leverage or the position to throw a strike? Yeah. But this has a direct, this directly maps on to kind of like the world of business and, um, you know, economic strategy. And hmm. you can use leverage to maybe increase your returns or double down on an effort, you know, if you've got a profitable enterprise and some assets under it, it's good to put a little leverage on it, but you have to be very careful because the leverage can also work against you. Right. Almost like we even use this term where we describe like the judo move. If someone's coming at you with a lot of energy, then you can Mm -hmm. actually use their own energy against them. Yeah, exactly. hundred percent, hundred percent. And you know, there, there's so many nuances um, of, of that game. And, you know, it, it's been a fascinating journey because, you know, for me, uh, I'm always looking for ways now that I'm 45 years old, I'm always looking for ways to be more efficient. And 
to get a deeper understanding of martial arts, to get a deeper understanding of jujitsu and, you know, what are, what are the real things that at play? And what I'm finding more than anything else is that there's more of a stripping away. There, there isn't necessarily it at an adding on, but there's more of a stripping away. And um, I, I find that I'm moving away from systematized things and moving into much more broad conceptual terms and understanding. And, and I find that it's allowed me to be way more creative with my art. It's allowed me to be way more effective because what's, what's fascinating and frustrating about martial arts or combat in general is that rarely is it a fair fight and rarely Mm -hmm. is it what you expect it to be. You know, when you're being attacked, you know, a lot of times it's, they have a weapon you know, they're bullying you for a reason, like they're bigger than you. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they have three or four guys. Um, you know, it's it's rarely a fair fight. So it's, okay, well, how do I structure my ability to defend myself against the unknown, mm. right? You, it, right? It's not so hard to prepare for the known, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you get that from experience and looking around and observing and seeing how things go down. But how do you protect against the unknown? Because there's a lot of crazy scenarios that can happen. So building up your defense, you know, a lot like, right, Bitcoin itself, that's what makes it so genius is most fighters, I think, approach it from the standpoint of I'm a macho guy, I'm tough, I want to go out there and kill that guy. Mm -hmm. But rarely is the fighter going out and saying, I'm not going to be killed first. You don't get to hurt me. Number one, you don't get to hurt me. Yes. Now I'm going to go out and do my stuff to you whenever that opportunity presents itself. So, you know, and it's important for a few reasons, right? It's like, first of all, we only have one brain. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, It's easy to, you know, to lose when you're throwing the dice, when you're just, Mm -hmm. you know, randomly attacking your opponent. Um, and you know, number three, you need to be able to preserve yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, it takes a toll on you. Maybe you Mm -hmm. don't get knocked out today, but you know, four five, six, seven fights later, you start to see, and we've seen it so many times where if you stick around the fight game long enough, and if you had that style of, you know, sit there and brawl and be the tougher guy that can only take you so far. It's almost like a video game where that energy bar, mm-hmm. you start with that full energy bar, but over time it goes down and down yes. and it never goes back to a hundred percent, unfortunately. Right. No, it's great. Great analogy. And there, like I said, there's no fair fight. You know, that was one of the opening key statements to the series with sailor. How he's saying there's no fair fight in the universe, basically mm-hmm. that, if it was ideally, fair, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you want we, to be good, yeah, we try to way, create right? it, I guess, you know, in the realm of sport, you know, we try to make the rules fair and all of this, but in reality, like you're watching the discovery channel or whatever, like they're picking off the, the weak and the sick, you know, they're trying yeah. to develop that asymmetry. That's nature's constantly, um, for sure. Calling out, I guess, you know, calling out the weak and the sick through these asymmetric um, attacks. So it's, it's brutal, but, um, it's kind of like the algorithm of evolution in a way, like it has to happen because it, it, you know, it's very easy for us to get hung up and be like, Oh, that's so unfair that, that whatever, um, cheetah ate the little baby gazelle. But what you're not seeing is that at the species level, it's like actually improving the fitness 
of all the gazelles and all the cheetahs. Yes. So it's um it's such an interesting dynamic. And I something else that resonated with me that you said is it's the preparedness that's key, right? It's not like I'm gonna learn this one punch and go out and just deliver it to this guy, and that's how I'm gonna win the fight. It's like you need to be ready for all possibilities and all eventualities because it's gonna happen at a time you don't expect and in a way you're not expecting. And so in that situation, you need to have like broad and diverse skills and experience versus, um, you know, some super specialization. Was it, was it Bruce Lee that said, it's not that I've practiced 10,000 kicks. It's that I practiced one kick 10,000 times or something like that. Yeah. I don't fear, I don't fear the man with 10,000 techniques. I I fear the man who has practiced one technique than 10,000 times or, you know, it's it's something along those lines. And, and it's, oh, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I, I think that um, there's a lot of different approaches and not one uh, approach is correct. But one thing that, that also is true is that when, when you go back in history to, to some of the great, um, you know, leaders of war and strategizers of combat, you know, whether it's Alexander the Great or Genghis Khan, um, they came with a unique approach. They came with an unusual strategy. They did something that had never been done before. And it's brilliant because if you're experiencing the stress of combat and it, it's like, I'm talking life or death scenario, um, and you are surprised by something and you're seeing it for the first time, um, rarely do you respond in the proper way. And oh, yeah. when you make your mistake, uh, those people that came with that unusual strategy are right there waiting for you, waiting to take advantage of you. And, you know, it's like we were saying before, it, that's an unfair fight. We're not approaching, you know, we're not going to line up all of our troops and then shoot or come nice. at you with a sword and, a, you know, and a, and a cadence uh, where you can time us and it's going to be, you know, your traditional warfare. We're going to do whether it's guerrilla warfare, you know, in Vietnam or, you know, it, it's all these unusual and unexpected strategies that um, that oftentimes win the war and, and throw it, throw the enemy for uh, for a loop. Yeah, it's so true. When I I boxed a little bit in college and one of the main things they try to teach you was to always set the pace of the fight. Um, and it's, uh, you know, the last thing you want to do is fall into a pattern of any kind, because once you're in a pattern, Absolutely. the enemy can identify the pattern and then out compete you basically. hundred percent. Right? Um, so what, how do you, is that something similar? Is that a similar strategy you use in fighting? Oh, Oh, absolutely. You know, you know, I think that's why a lot of people get things wrong about fighting. I think, um, you know, it, it's not as simplistic as, let's see who's tougher or this guy landed 10 punches to your two punches. Therefore he's winning the round. It, it, it comes down to um, your position. Um, mm. How do I position myself to be stronger than you? And this goes for whether it's jujitsu um, you know, whether it's boxing, kickboxing um, whether it's, you know um, any type of, you know, military uh, conflict, it's how can I position myself to defeat you, to give me an advantage repeatedly over time until you eventually have to succumb or give up or you, all of your men are dead. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's, it it's comes down to, and so if you're talking about, let's say striking, for example, um, you know, 
what does it mean to not have patterns? Well, you know, you can't be predictable. How, where do you get your predictability from? It's all comes from your, your, your feet, your footwork, you know, the repeat, the strikes or patterns that you keep throwing with your strikes, the more weapons you have, the more unpredictable you are, the more mm. you faint, the more confusing it is as to whether you're going to attack or not. Mm. Um, and the types of feints that you're throwing, you're going low, you're going high, you're throwing body shots. Now you're going upstairs and you're taking, taking my head off or, mm. you know, um, pretty, looking like you're going to strike with me and then taking me down or, you know, uh, attacking from above when you have your, you know, all of your men on the ground, you know, so it's, it's coming with, um, you know, these unusual strategies, which often means uh, having superior position. And in jujitsu, you know, there was a concept that I kind of came up with, uh, which, you know, everyone talks about base, you know, um, and uh, it talks about base in, in regards to what your balance is like, but it doesn't tell the whole picture. You know, everyone says in jujitsu, like have a good base. Well, your base is only as good um, and it all depends on your opponent. So your base connection is what's most important. It's how you're connected to your opponent. So what is your position in relation to your opponent? Mm. Because I could be strong in one way, but if my opponent is somewhere else, then I'm no longer strong. Right. So I have to constantly be aware of where my opponent is and how I need to adjust my body or adjust my position to be superior to you. To you. And if you're doing jujitsu properly, I let you do all the work. I let you carry my weight as many times as possible. And if you are trying to put your weight on me, then I'm not trying to carry your weight. I'm trying to deflect your weight mm. repeatedly. Mm. Um, so it becomes this, very elegant dance mm. of feeling the energy and the force vectors of your opponent and trying to outmaneuver them. Uh, and it happens like that. And you need to know positioning so well that you can do it repeatedly to them because once a mistake is made, a lot of times you're not able to make up that ground again, if you're going right. against someone who is truly elite. Yeah. It's so interesting. You know, the idea of position, being key to really any contest of will, you know, I'm thinking of even in poker, right? It's all about position. Yeah. It's all about your stack Absolutely. relative to your opponents. Um, clearly in business, you know, uh, actually Sailor said this to me too. They said that you could compress all of business school into one sentence, which is keep your options open. And that's position, right? Like you're, you're keeping, yeah. Relative to your opponent, how many options do you have at your disposal versus how many options they have? Exactly. And when you're when you're you know impressing your willpowers against one another, the guy with most the most options will ultimately win in the course of time. Hundred percent. It's why no one wants to go to war with the United States if they can avoid it. Like right. no one's purposely or overtly trying to go to war with the United States. Right. It's not, it's not a very good battle. The, even, you know, amongst, you know, the other world powers and, you know, no one wants to go to war because that's never a great scenario um, when you're talking about country versus country. But um, if you're going to pick a fight, very few are trying to pick a fight with the United States. There's just so much military power everywhere. It's like, yeah. You're not going to win the Air Force war. You're not going to win the naval war. You're not going to win the ground war. Right. All right what about tech? Well, uh, they're probably not going to win it there either. Yeah. So it's like the more options you have, the more weapons at your disposal, especially if you know your weapons, 
the better off you're going to be in, in, in essentially any conflict. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. It gets back to terrain earlier too. I read, I can't remember what it was. It was a book describing the dominance of the U S it was largely attributing our geopolitical dominance because of our geography, right? We have this, hmm. we're between the East and the West and we, you know, we have a ton of coastline with access to European markets, a ton of coastline with access to Asian markets. We've also, you know, use that to establish naval dominance. We've got, you know, Hawaii's a pretty strategic location that we took over 60 some odd years ago. Yes. So again, this idea of options, you know, just as access to water really gives you a lot of options right. in the geopolitical landscape. No, no question about it. I think that's what essentially in a lot of ways, I don't think it was this simple, but I think in a lot of ways, that's what threatened Japan so much during World War II was, you know, we started, uh, you know, spreading out our our naval bases out towards their territory out in the mm. Pacific. And I think they were threatened by that uh, for sure, as they were, you know, looking to take control of uh, that area. And, you know, their first target that they, they hoped to uh, weaken was uh, Pearl Harbor, of course. Mm. And Pearl Harbor was kind of located in that area where, you know, it was kind of hidden, like they, they, they were, you know, wanted to protect against things like, um, you know, torpedoes and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, missile attacks and things like that. Um, I, again, it was an unusual strategy from the Japanese mm -hmm. that threw them for a loop. But um, yeah, and they used I mean, surprise, like you said. Yeah, like, absolutely. They, yeah. It's such a good point. I want to. So I'm curious a little bit about jujitsu. You said it had a lot of things figured out kind of before MMA really emerged. Hmm. What, so what, what, what was with that? Was jujitsu just kind of the old wisdom of like the reality of fighting and it was just the best baseline for MMA or like how, I guess maybe a little backstory on jujitsu and then how did it all become MMA? For sure. Great question. You know, um, so the, the Japanese, the, the, Brazil has a very large um, immigration of Japanese. Um, Peru does as well in South America, but, um, you know, a, a lot had immigrated um, to Brazil um, and set up a lot of, you know, diasporas throughout the country. And um, throughout that process, there was a visiting judo master um, and they had linked up with um, a prominent um, political family at the time, the Gracie family. Mm. And he had taught um, some judo, jujitsu. Judo and jujitsu was kind of synonymous at the time. It was kind of the same thing. And um, had taught um, the Gracies and the Gracie family um, some jujitsu. And the Gracies had kind of taken that knowledge and developed it over time. And one of the ways that they developed it over time was through real fights. Like these guys were scrappy. Mm. Um, they wanted to see what worked and how it would work in a real fight. And they would often test themselves. And it was quite common to have what they called like dojo storms, where you would go into a school and say, Hey, I want to test myself. Like you guys are karate guys, or you guys are a boxer. You're a wrestler. Let's fight. Let's see mm. what's better. Let's see how I can improve my technique. And, um, they did it through, experience they did it through real fights and they attained so much knowledge and information because of that um karate 
And a lot of the other martial arts had been distilled down to more tame versions of themselves mm -hmm. where it was no longer about, hey, you know, we're going to do a real fight because it, it was dangerous, right? It was more like, hey, I'm going to break this brick or I'm going to break this wooden block or I'm going to show you, you know, these elegant forms of what we do. Mm -hmm. But there is no practical execution as far as real one-on-one -on -one combat of, of, of making their art more effective. It had become... Uh, I, don't, I, I guess neutered. I don't know if neutered, neutered might be more of a strong word, but it Almost a like lot of their theoretical. Techniques, yeah, it, it became more theoretical, and 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 they took away what made those martial arts so great. So, um, they had a huge advantage because of that. And what they found, and it was brilliant, was you know if I want to hit you. I need to get close enough in order to do that. I need to take some kind of, or make, for the most part, make some kind of advancement towards you mm -hmm. in order to hit the target. Well, they understood that as well. And they said, well, as you come towards me, I'm going to go towards you as well. If I stay here, I get hit. Mm -hmm. If I crash into you and grab you before you're able to hit me, then I can control your body, take you to the ground where you'll often be off balance. And then I can pin you. I can use the floor and my body weight mm -hmm. to essentially sandwich you and then wait for a mistake, essentially. And, mm -hmm. and their goal was to essentially um, find the weak points of the body, which are the, the levers of the body, like the arms, the mm -hmm. legs, the neck. If you look at, you know, the animal kingdom, what does every big cat or bear go for? They attack the neck. This is the weakest part of the body. It's connected to the spine, which is really our, you know, sort of life force, the thing that holds us together. Mm -hmm. And if you can get a hold of that, you're in big trouble. And it, not just because you can cut it, right? But mm -hmm. also if you're able to cut off, um, you know, the carotid artery that goes to the brain, if you can, if you could close that gap enough, it's like stepping on a hose where you stop mm. that flow of water. You're stopping the flow of blood to your brain. And it, it has nothing to do with toughness anymore. It's mm -hmm. not, oh, I'm right. going to out tough this choke. No, the blood is not going to your brain anymore. You go to sleep and you're done. Right. Um, right. So it, it really was very scientific. And um, they used a lot of physics as far as, you know, utilizing the, the levers of the body and understanding, you know, how to control the center of mass, how to get underneath you, um, how to get you to carry, uh, you know, my weight. And, and um, it was just a, a brilliant model of efficiency. And I feel like it's it continues to evolve um, in, in many ways. And, um, you know, I, I think other arts have been strengthened because of it as well, because they realize, okay, well, if I want to be an effective fighter, I need to understand my opponent. I, under, I need to understand my enemy. I need to know what they do. And because of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, although it's not as dominant as it was, uh, you know, decades ago, um, it has strengthened fighting as a whole. Mm. Uh, everyone is better because of it. Interesting. So that then the Gracie family, I think you said was yes. started doing, I mean, so they started UFC before there was UFC basically, right. They were doing this. Exactly. You know, Robert, it, it, it's so funny. What actually, you know, also got me into it was the Gracie family. They, they were, a lot of them were based out in Southern California and they kind of brought, um, you know, some of their tactics that they use in Brazil to Southern California. And 
they had a open challenge and anyone from any martial art, no matter how big you were or who you were or whatever it was, if you beat them in a challenge, you would get a hundred thousand dollars. So basically they, mm. they would put out almost like, you know, uh, you know, these wanted signs out there. And it was like, <laughs> Hey, do you want to win a hundred thousand dollars? If you beat, if you beat us, we'll give you a hundred grand. If you can, you know, knock us out or choke us out or whatever. And they would film these battles and they used it as promotional material and it was called Gracie in action. And it was basically these real life fights on the beach, uh, in the, in, in the dojo on the streets. And they would show the effectiveness of, um, of their art. And I believe the doc, it was like kind of a documentary style with narration by one of the Gracie's, and the, the, the video started out with, you know, big cats attacking other animals in the wild. And that's <laughs> kind of how they promoted it, but it was wildly successful. That's interesting. So what <laughs> was coming to mind is that they were basically, again, back to like entrepreneurship, they were tinkering with fighting styles before UFC was even a thing. And then what you just described sounds almost like a bug bounty program and software. Yeah. They're like, they'll issue a, like, here's our software. If you can crack it, we'll give right. you a reward. 100%. Did anyone ever win that? Or No, not, not, not that I uh, knew of anyway. Yeah. It certainly wasn't promoted as such. Um, but my, my understanding, it, it never, never went down that way. Not you, a Gracie really wasn't defeated until very, well, relatively, um, uh, recently i guess i don't want to say uh super recent but certainly not you know they were undefeated for a very long time um, mm. they started doing this in like the 70s um mm. so you can imagine the amount of experience that they had going into the 90s at this point in the united states and and globally um and when i saw jujitsu i was just fascinated by it and i i knew it was special and i knew it would eventually catch on just because you know, a lot like Bitcoin or whatever, it's like you see the technology and how effective mm. it is. And you're like, this is something that a lot of people are going to start to learn and practice right. and fall in love with. If, I, if I'm falling in love with it, and I'm seeing, you know, the beauty and brilliance of it. Many other people will as well. And it was super early on. And now jujitsu is like, you know, one of the most popular martial arts ever. Mm. You know, the, the, the Gracie Academy, I think was the first uh, academy, uh, jujitsu academy anyway, to start grossing over a million dollars a year. And they became this huge, uh, you know, business, they became mm. this huge empire. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's been amazing to see. And then, you know, mixed martial arts, you know, back when I started fighting, people were like, wait a sec, what's, what's the UFC and what is that exactly? And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, no one knew what Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was and no one really knew what MMA was or the UFC was. And now it's, you know, this sport, you know, the UFC was purchased for like over $4 billion mm -hmm. uh, just a few years ago. So it's, it's grown like crazy. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, resonate with, um, you know, warriors and fighting. And mm -hmm. I think it's in all of us, right? We, we, we wouldn't be here today without someone uh, in our line um, defending us or, or fighting for what they believed in uh, or to protect their, uh, their home or village. Yeah, no, excellent point. Um, and it's, <laughs> Hey everybody, 
As you've no doubt learned by watching this show, Bitcoin is the single most important asset you can own in the 21st century. And one of the most important companies in Bitcoin today is Nidig. Nidig's mission is to get Bitcoin into the hands of as many people as possible. One of the ways they are accomplishing this mission is by empowering banks and financial technology companies to offer their own Bitcoin products and services. As a true game changer in the industry, Nidig is safely unlocking the power of Bitcoin for forward-thinking individuals and institutions alike. Led by Robbie Gutman, Yen Zhao, and Ross Stevens, Nidig has absolutely exploded onto the Bitcoin scene recently and has quickly become a leader in this space. So whether you are a professional investor looking for asset management services or a company looking to white label your own Bitcoin product or service, consider Nidig your single source solution for everything Bitcoin. Yeah, so it's interesting that we forget that we're everyone alive basically is descended from someone that survived the struggle, right, of existence. And that struggle historically has been very violent. I guess the all of human history. I, I watched this documentary recently, Baraka. I don't know if you've ever seen it. No. It's pretty cool. It's on I don't, Netflix or Amazon or something, but it's there's no words in the whole documentary. It's okay. just filming different scenes from cultures around the world and mixing it in with like uh, kind of some natural footage. And it's just interesting. You know, we've been fighting amongst ourselves forever, basically. And somehow in that process becoming more civilized, which is kind of interesting too. It's like, we now can, we take it for granted that we trust strangers, you know, we just go into the mall or whatever, sit in a theater and, you know, we just assume everyone's peaceful, but it's been a long bloody road to get to this point. So I was just thinking that, you know, it's, and this kind of maybe ties into Bitcoin. It's like Bitcoin could really change how we relate to each other again. So maybe, you know, I don't, who knows what's going to happen, but if this large nation state model starts to unravel, which it looks like it might be right now, the way things are looking in the world, um, there might be more demand for people to learn MMA and jujitsu and these things just to like be alive in the world, right? Just to be able to take care of yourself. Um, what do you think about that? Like, do you think everyone should learn some type of self-defense or like, what's your position on that? Oh man. I, I mean, yeah, I think there's so much there. I, I think, and I, I couldn't agree more. I, is it going to solve everything in regards to, you know, Bitcoin? No. I mean, we are at war with ourselves, like you said, and a lot of times we need something. Um, But I, I think that. What it will cut down on is um, a lot of what we've seen, especially, you know, large scale global warfare, Um, Mm. you know, when when our resources are now protected, then and and it's no longer in our in our best interest to attack those resources, then shit, I got to go find something else to do. It's like I'm not going to rob that house like that house got like eight eight Rottweilers. They they got Mm. guns over there. They got them. I'm good. I'm not going to attack that house. I'm good. I'm going to try to look for an easier target. And if everyone's resources are now protected like that, it's like, well, 
they now have the ultimate uh, defense system. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I see Bitcoin. And in regards to should everyone do some kind of martial art? Absolutely. I think we need that more than ever. I think there's, there's it for me specifically, and, it, and it's different for everyone. And, and I think you can get this in a variety of ways. It's sports or, you know, strength and conditioning. And, but it's got to be something physical. You know, mm-hmm. we have this, vessel that is capable of so many amazing things. And one thing is sure is that we don't get stronger and we don't get smarter and we don't become more efficient without struggle. We, mm. we, we need a constant type of adversity mm-hmm. um, and in order to strengthen ourselves. And, you know, I, I, there was a, a I had these t-shirts that were always made before every fight and it always encompassed mind, body, and spirit. And I'm, I certainly didn't make it up. Um, but th- those are often three words that are associated with the martial arts and, and the martial spirit. Um, but it was, it's the only thing that I feel that has unified those three things, mm. mind, body, and spirit. And, mm. you know, I played soccer at a high level. I did a lot of different sports and, you know, certainly enjoyed myself in a lot of different ways, you know, doing sports and other things of travel. And you can get a lot of great highs uh, <laughs> in a lot of different ways, but the martial arts has provided so much to me. Like everything mm. I know is almost because of it. And um, it's this, abyss as well. It's, Mm -hmm. it's never ending. Um, you know, the deeper you go, the deeper it gets. Um, I've learned so much about myself in that way. And, you know, it's humbling because it's Mm -hmm. hard and it hurts oftentimes, Mm -hmm. uh, physically, spiritually, and mentally, but, um, the, the lessons are, are things that you take with you and you can't run away from yourself. And, um, you learn to, uh, be a very good strategist. You learn to identify your weaknesses and your mistakes and be humble and know that, Hey, if you have a bad day here, or a bad day there, that, you know, could be the end of you. And, um, you have to continue to work hard because there's a lot of people that are, that are doing the same as you, especially if you're in, you know, the competitive field of things, or even within your own dojo and your academy, there's always some guy who's got a certain move or a certain position that's really difficult to deal with. And no one is really going to help you except you. Like I could be this phenomenal teacher and I do my best to be the best teacher that I can possibly be. But the best teacher is yourself. You know, it's like, how do I give you the skills and understanding to teach yourself? Because at the end of the day, doesn't matter what I say or what I tell you to do physically, you have to do the work and there's no escape from that. And that's the thing. It's like the truth always reveals itself in combat. There, there is no escape. Sometimes you get lucky, (laughs) but um, you know, there, there rarely is that the case that someone will expose you somewhere. So it's on you to make sure that that never happens. Wow. Yeah. It's very, powerful and um it, you know it seems to me that if we universalized this training and not to make it mandatory or anything but just to have a culture of people trained in combat even trained yeah. with firearms things like this yes that it actually people think it sounds 
barbaric or anarchic or something, but it actually preserves peace. Like a lot of the guys I've hung out with, the guys that are trained fighters, they're the coolest, most level-headed dudes you'll ever meet because it's like, what are we going to do? Fight? Like there's no, they know how to handle themselves in a situation versus the other version of like the bro that wants to go into the bar and fight. Like he's not a trained fighter. He doesn't have those principles. I agree. In him. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think it, it does. It, it brings an internal peace. And also you have an understanding of war of what war is. It's mm-hmm. like the, the people that are, you know, trying to um, call for war and these, you know, these uh, hawkish people that are looking to go to battle and overtake, you know, this country or that country, whatever, oftentimes it's not the guys that have seen war. Many times it's the people that are the furthest away from the battlefield that are, that have no idea what it means to take a life or to work your ass off, to be good at a martial skill. Um, Because they don't know what that is. The the most dangerous person in the world is, you know, a weak coward who knows nothing of those things. Um, Mm. Who, 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 who isn't sweating, who doesn't know what it's like to suffer and to hurt and know what it's like on the battlefield. And I certainly don't like, I, I I've never been in a real war, right? I, I can't, I only know what it's like on a one-on-one combat, but like, that's why I, I got so much inspiration from, you know, um, the military and military history and, you know, are are the the elite of our military, you know, whether it's the special operations groups or, you know, the famous battles that have taken place in history. It's like the things that those guys have seen, the things that they have experienced, the men that were lost, the, the lessons that were there. It's like, it's this ugliness and beautiness altogether, Mm -hmm. which is what life is all about, you know, for better or worse. It's just, it just is. And, you know, how we take those lessons and learn from it, um, it, it's really important how we move in the future. And, you know, knowing that I think it, it doesn't lead you into war. It, it makes you more prepared for it, but also gets you to understand it's not something you want to do. Right. Exactly. That's the thing you get. It's almost a paradox in a way. It's like the more prepared you get for battle, the less, uh, you seek battle, right? Cause totally. you know, there's cost and risk. Like, you know, you've, you've experienced totally. it directly. So I, I mean, I've never been in war either, but just reflecting on like the feeling of being in the ring and being, it's kind of like Mike Tyson. Everyone's got a plan to like get punched in the face. Like it's a whole different mode of being, you know, and you can only imagine that scaled up to a nation of many millions. It's hell. Right. So You'll, you almost want to do anything you can to work away from it. But to your well, point, well, you have these weak guys like, you know, bomb them or, you, yeah. know, you know, other thing. They want to violate property in many ways. I saw the, um, it was one of the health ministers saying like, oh, we got to go, you know, put a jab at everyone's arm. I'm like, dude, chill your shit out. Like, just <laughs> let people choose what they want to do. Right. Imagine that. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, Robert, it's almost, it, it's. I'm not not exaggerating, but I think the moment that I realized that, you know, Bitcoin was the art of fighting without fighting, it it Mm. almost brings a tear to my eye when Mm -hmm. I realized it, because it's like, that is the ultimate level. Mm -hmm. That is the ultimate level when you've reached such a level where you go, I I can't do anything to that person. I can, you know, I punch them. And I just, they're like water or I try to grapple them and they're like water. Yes. I, the, the harder I attack, the more it hurts me. It, it right. This doesn't make sense for me to do this. It is like 
it, it, it's everything encompassed into this beautiful form of defense. It's the ultimate citadel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it, the fact that that was able to be created is when you really, really think about it, it's one of the greatest marvels um, we have ever seen, have ever had. And um, it's mind boggling. It, it inspires me in what I do because it's like, okay, I can go out there, right? So if you look at the Greeks, the ancient Greeks, um, there was Ares and there was mm-hmm. Athena. Ares was the god of war, Athena was the goddess of, of war. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the ancient Greeks didn't really. Uh, praise Ares as much. They they really worshiped Athena because Ares was this bloodthirsty, you know, guy who, if he had to win, it was about hacking the enemy and just mm-hmm. getting it done and just being this demon on the battlefield. Whereas Athena had the approach of intelligence, strategy, gracefulness, mm-hmm. elegance. That's the art. That That is the art of fighting. It's like, how do I like, how do I get you to trip on your own? Like without right. even touching yeah. like, so, you know, and you can take it to extremes, but that is when I see a true master of the martial arts is when it's absolutely effortless. They yes. are moving with minimal energy. They're making the other person struggle so much. And that's what I try to explain people. You know, what the goal of jujitsu is if you think about it on your first day, you're nervous, you're tense, you're, you're sweating, you're freaking the hell out. The master is as far away from jujitsu guy on day one as possible. Yeah. Like you have to be so far, you have to be composed, efficient, um, almost using no energy, smooth, yeah. you know, all those things. That's when you're really doing jujitsu. That's when you are an artist and right. it's easy to be a fighter. It's hard to be an artist. Beautifully said. And I mean, this is Sun Tzu's like capstone teaching. He says the supreme art of war is to subdue the enemy without fighting. Exactly. Right. And and it's it's with Bitcoin, it is gorgeous because he also teaches formlessness, right? To be like Bruce Lee says, be like water, you know, flow, but also be able to crash. And with Bitcoin, I mean, I keep seeing new dimensions of it. You know, recently right. when China exiled Bitcoin mining, it's like all the miners get unplugged in China, they get shipped elsewhere and they get plugged back in. And you watch the hash rate. Yeah. It's like China punches Bitcoin mining. <laughs> it just is this cloud that like absorbs the punch. Yeah. And then just Where is Bitcoin? Itself. Where is it? Can you it's find nowhere. it? Do you have it in your hand? Can you yeah. touch it? Can you grab it? Can you? <laughs> exactly. And then the wealth storage aspect, it's like, you want to come and get me and try to get my Bitcoin? Well, it's in a multi-sig custody solution that's yeah. geographically distributed. You can't do it. I couldn't give it to you yeah. if I wanted to. Right. And then, so it's all, and the fascinating thing to me is that kind of like Athena, the, the uh, was it Ares was the, the demon on the battlefield. That's not yeah. economical. Yeah. That's not the right. economic way to deal with battle. It's better to outwit your, your opponent or to be formless Absolutely. or to be, uh, yes. To not be a pattern, right? To not be predictable. Yeah, it's just incredible how much Bitcoin embodies those principles. Truly, yeah. <clears throat> um, how did you get into Bitcoin? What like, what's the story there? Because you just came out for me. It was you just came out of the blue on Twitter, and I was like, oh shit, I love this guy. <laughs> I've been watching him since I was, I was probably a yeah, kid man, since I've been watching you. 
Yeah, man. Um, so I, uh, you know, I think it was in like 2015 or 16 was the first time, um, you know, I had heard of, I had heard of Bitcoin, um, but, you know, didn't really know much about it. I, it just wasn't on my radar really. And that's it. Um, uh, but my buddy in Los Angeles had told me, he's like, Hey man, like this thing called Bitcoin is down to $75 right now. You got to get it. And I was like, well, tell me about it. Like, what's the deal? And in my mind, the first thing, you know, and, and I think it's almost it, in a good way, but it was terrible because I missed out on the opportunity of a lifetime back then, but everyone has that story. Right. But um, I remember just thinking like this, there's no way the, the, you know, the United States or any country is going to allow it. How would this succeed? I, you know, I immediately came with it. Like I was combative towards it. Mm -hmm. um, I thought it was amazing, but at the same time, like, can this really be like, no, like there's no way. So I, dra I dragged my feet on it for a while and it wasn't until 2016, 17, where I started getting into the space. And um, I had, I, you know, I, I went into, I was going to get Bitcoin and someone was like, do, do, do get into this. You know, I shall not mention the name <laughs> and I get into this. And then, um, you know, this is, this is cheaper. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. It's cheaper. Okay. <laughs> so then um, I ended up making a bunch of money. And then as I was doing a little bit more research, I'm like, no, wait a sec. Bitcoin's a thing. Like it's expensive for a reason. Like this is, right. this is, so I, I sold all of that and went into Bitcoin and I've been in Bitcoin in 2000, since 2017. Um, and I've been accumulating until this week. Beautiful. <laughs> so I've, uh, you know, and, and of course I, I made the mistake of selling some very little, thankfully, mm. uh, and trying to get into other things because of course, if you get into something that's 0. 0.0001 cents, then you can make so much more money. But, you know, um, so you make your stupid thing, but I think it's, I think it was an essential part of my process. I, um, I learned best from making stupid mistakes, oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, thankfully it wasn't a horrible mistake, but, um, it, it has strengthened my uh, belief in it. You know, I, I, I truly believe that, you know, anywhere, I don't, geez, uh, 2018, anything before 2018, 2019 is a big time risk. Now, yeah. I don't think Bitcoin's risky. I, I, I really don't. It's not like to me, I'm, I'm such a believer at this point. I'm just, I'm just hanging out, man. I'm chilling, you know, I'm past the point of checking it every day, maybe to buy, but like, not because I'm like, oh my gosh, I, how yeah. much money do I have? You know, yeah. it's more just like, I, I, I'm, I have a, a pretty quiet confidence about it. And it, it's just been amazing that the, but the resources like Robert, and I'm not here to like, you know, tell you how great you are, but you know, it, it's people like you that have been educating myself and, you know, there, there's so much great information out there now. And it's on them to go out and find it and listen and study. And sometimes it takes listening, it, listening to those things twice, three times and, and investigating more and more. And um, the, the amount of information that I've um, accumulated over the last few years has just been a godsend. It's been amazing. And um, I've, you know, never been more optimistic about Bitcoin and about the future and um, it, it's an amazing space with a, a lot of really intelligent people that I've learned a lot from. Yeah, man. Well, I really appreciate you saying that. Um, it, 
gave me just this, I don't know, impetus to write and talk more. And I've, I've been very thankful for it. Now I'm extremely grateful because I've built a whole, I've managed to connect this passion for learning that's become teaching, but it's not, I don't even consider it teaching. It's like, I'm just learning out loud basically. And then, you know, engaging with people in the process. Mm. Um, and I've connected that with a profession. So I feel very like it's been, Bitcoin's been an overwhelming experience for me in a lot of dimensions. It, it's similar in that, you know, like in jujitsu, it kind of dragged me in a lot of different, um, I guess, paths as well in that, you know, what, what started out as just jujitsu, you know, started out in, you know, led me to travel, you know, all mm. over the world. It led me to, you know, read a lot about, you know, war and history mm. and, you know, all these different things and philosophy and, you know, Bitcoin does that like on steroids. It's, you right. know, it, it, it yeah. drags you into so many different realms that, um, you're, you're, you weren't even aware of. Um, and you begin to really learn about so many different aspects. Uh, and it's, it's been so cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, a great way to put it. It just, um, it's weird. You know, it's, uh, the, even the namesake of the show, what is money? It's just like this simple question. It's like, how could we yeah. not know what money is? Like we fucking think about it and use simple it. Simple question, and, complicated answer. Yeah. And then it's like, you, you if you really ask, it's like the bottom falls out from under you and you're like, wait, I have no idea what money is. What else don't I know? And you're like, Oh, what is value? What is this? Absolutely. Absolutely. Have you experienced significant transformation? Because I know you said you've been in Bitcoin for like one four year cycle yeah, to the point where you're numb to the price, which I think is a very important path of maturity, almost in Bitcoin. Like the people that are still worried about the price day to day. It's like, yeah. I'm like, you haven't been here long enough. Just keep yeah. studying. <laughs> right. well, how have you changed uh, as you've gotten into Bitcoin? Gosh. You know, um, I think that, um, man, I, I, I guess I can go back to when we had that crash that went to the 3000s. Mm, March 2020. Yeah. yeah. And I, I was in kind of a, a tough situation financially in that. I didn't have job security. Um, you know, I didn't, um, you know, I, I, I was questioning a lot of things. I was kind of in like, all right, well, what do I want to do here? I, I hadn't worked in a little while and was thinking about what I wanted to do and thinking about a lot of different things and had a lot of different businesses and stuff, but like I, I got away from, you know, doing a lot of the TV stuff and things. And um, so I wasn't sure about the future and, it had gone down and, you know, like I had, I had a decent amount of money in it and my wife was like, okay, so what's going on? What are you doing with this? And I was like, I actually, I've been thinking about this and I want to buy more. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, excuse me. I was like, I want to buy more. Like, I, 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 I just, I feel like I need to buy more and this is, I know it's risky and all that. And I did it. And, you know, certainly, you know, sure enough, it, it went back up and all that stuff. And, it gave me um, confidence in myself to believe in myself and to believe in what I see and to keep on studying, of course, keep on learning about it. But it, um, I felt a good amount of validation there. And then from there, um, it just went deeper and deeper and started dragging me into, you know, um, philosophy and history and property rights and 
you know, um, you know, I guess some of the technical technological stuff, which is, you know, for me, who, who doesn't come from that world is, is kind of one of the toughest ways to kind of approach it. And in, in, in yeah. some ways, it's like, get the general idea of what Bitcoin does and, and why it's cool, but don't like get so much into it, because it, it can confuse you. So, um, but yeah, it, it, I mean, just from, I guess, a historical frame point, and uh, from, you know, asking that question of what is money and understanding economics better and the the political game and how we got here and you know what what's the role of the central banks and the fed and you know what is fiat and and and, and so all these things you start to realize you're like wait a sec this makes way more sense than what we've been told and why aren't we told this stuff in school mm-hmm. and and why aren't we told why aren't we really on a, on a deeper level um you know, talking about financial responsibility in school. Like we're learning about all this other stuff, but like we're not learning about really how to save money and how to do this and how to do that. It's just like get a job and spend and get a job and spend. And um, it, it's, you realize it, it, the other thing that's, that's, that was major. And, and I understood this in other ways, but I just, the things that we think we know, we don't know. And mm-hmm. There's very few experts out there, Robert. Mm. Like even, you know, when I, when I, I'm in my field and I he- see a journalist write about something or I hear another expert in the field talk about something like that's not how it is. That's, that's right. not how, that's not how right. jujitsu works or how fighting works. So that's not the thing, man, like go deeper. And I, I think it gets you to realize there's very few experts. What we're told is not the truth. And it's yeah. on us to go out there and search for it and make an honest effort at doing so. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's going to bring a much more truthful world, a, a much more beautiful world, and one that kind of puts everyone at ease. And I think a lot of people for many, many years, probably over the last hundred years, have been working their asses off and not understanding, you know, where this anxiety is coming from, right. despite having a secure job and the house with the white picket fence and still understand, like still not understanding, like why the hell do I feel like I'm caught in this rat race? And we've all been there, but I feel like Bitcoin has taken that away from me. And it's like, what's the value of that? Yeah, man. Excellent. Excellently said. And I couldn't agree more. I went through the fiat rat maze and even having some success, you know, quote unquote success. Right. I was not feeling better about life. I was feeling worse. I was like deeper in the darkness, less meaning. It was just, I was lost. And yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I'm, I'm exploring that a lot. Like, what is it about fiat world? And I, you know, I don't, if it's like, we have this live, this embodied lie in the money. It's like the money is not what it represents itself to be. It's supposed to be time or energy. Well, it's not because it's constantly being debased. Yeah. So does that infect us? Like, are we, we're using a bad tool. So it makes us bad. I'm not sure, but something about moving away from that and just denominating your life in Bitcoin and, and following the rabbit holes that it leads you down, you know, philosophically, intellectually, it, it just, it enriches your life so much. Absolutely. I think there's so much mystery in the fiat world of like, you know, how things work. And it's, there's, there's just certain sleaziness and, mm-hmm. Uh, you just don't feel good about the, the methods that are that are used in a lot of ways. And it's like, 
you, you start to kind of like think that that's the way and like, well, it, mm. it must be normal. So I guess mm. like, I don't just to lie and cheat and steal. Like this guy's doing it and this right. guy's doing it. And right. this is all my bosses are doing like, might as well. Like, mm, all right, well, <laughs> um, I almost feel like Bitcoin, the Bitcoin network is like this Bitcoin realm. It's this Bitcoin world that you pass into eventually. Um, and it's like, these guys are doing their stuff. Like the fiat people are doing this fiat stuff and the Bitcoin people are doing this whole <laughs> Bitcoin thing. And it, maybe this isn't fully developed yet, but it, it's getting there and it's yeah. like, it's a lot brighter and it's clearer and it's yeah. not fuzzy. And it's, it's this, um, it's a clear communication across all yes. aspects. I feel like, I, I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree. It's clarifying just in general in so many ways, but it's, it's, we sound crazy, almost outsiders. You have to like live through it. Yeah. But it, it's reassuring to me to see it happening in the lives of others. Like it's not just me going through this personal transformation because I'm interacting with magic internet money. Like there's other people experiencing this thing too. So right. Um, it's a real rabbit hole. And I don't think anyone knows we're calling it money. We're calling it technology. You know, you could even call it a social institution in some ways, but none of the terms we have quite capture it, you know, which also lends me to believe it's something so big. Like we don't have the, the language for it really. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, um, geez, I, I think Sailor, you know, kind of uh, distilled it beautifully. And, and I know you, you've had many hours with him um, that has enlightened me, but like, it's energy. Like everything uh -huh. is energy. Uh -huh. Jiu-jitsu is, is the mastering of energy and, and those who control the energy and those who can retain the energy um, are, are going to be better off because of it. And I think that we're seeing that with Bitcoin and, and there is this direct correlation to that, that ability to retain it, that ability to protect it, that ability to preserve it. And we had never, we haven't had anything like that. Like right. you don't have to give your energy to some other person who's going to, you know, squeeze you of it while they're using it yeah. and you yeah. don't have access to it. It's not really yours. And this is the first time that we're able to do that separate from the state. And mm. again, it, it's, it's just, it's absolutely mind blowing. Um, first of all, that we never had this before, but that it's actually been created and executed um, on quite a beautiful level and on a deep level and, and just yeah. in time it seems like yeah right like well yeah. exactly it's like this <laughs> someone knew what was going on you know uh like if bitcoin were not a thing really if it were not at least where it is today because if it were just launched it would you know we wouldn't know about it but the fact that it's reaching I guess you'd call it adolescence right now when the world need mm. seems to need it a lot like the world needs a light to move towards because it's a lot totally. of dark shit going on out there. Totally. Um, and it's, yeah, what you, what you said, it's like, it's inspired you to do all these things is the, um, to go down these rabbit holes, like to work, frankly, like that's a big thing I've noticed is in fiat world. Like I had to force myself to work. Like I didn't, the sleaziness you described, I felt the sleaziness you know, there's all these like political games being played. You have to navigate this messy kind of arena. And it's just like, oh, I have to force myself to do it because what else do you do in the world? I, I don't know. Yeah. But in yeah. Bitcoin, it's the exact opposite. It's like you're 
inspired to work. Like I wake up just alive and electric every day to get into this. Absolutely. Like, isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? That That's the thing. It's like, we are talking about it. Like it's this unusual thing, but like, right. that's what we're supposed to be doing. And, and there's no, there's no better feeling when you're like, you know what? My, my money is secure and my money is mine. And I've worked mm. hard for that. And it feels good. And, and there's accountability and there's understanding, you know, um, and then I can now focus on the things that I love, the things that I'm passionate about yeah. um, and, and try to make that pot a little bit bigger. And uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And, you know, like to put a button on it with what you said, it's all energy, right? Everything. And this is not, we're not like, you know, spiritual babble here. E equals MC squared. Mass is frozen energy. Everything in the universe right. is energy. It's energy on right. a tapestry of space and time it's ridiculous that humans did not have a place to store their energy that other humans could not fuck with up until this point. Right. So like, it's this whole, that old phrase of power to the people. It's like Bitcoin's literally giving power to the people. So like you can <laughs> yeah. actually hold your yeah. life's work and energy in something that no one else can mess with. Yep. So, yep. so cool. Can agree more, man. Dude, this has been awesome. Um, really enjoy the conversation. Uh, Absolutely, man. No, th thanks so much for having me, man. Uh, great to be a part of this podcast. I've been a fan of yours and, you know, your writings early on, and then now your, your, your podcast that you started and uh, wishing you all the best, man. It seems like you're killing it and uh, yeah, continued success, dude. Thanks, man. It means a lot. Yeah. Uh, if you could just let my audience know where they can find out more about you uh, and your work. For sure. Um, you guys want to check me out at uh, kennyflorian.com. Um, I also just came out with a jujitsu instructional uh, that covers um, a lot of my conceptual understandings at, at kennyflorianmartialarts.com. If you're uh, a martial artist or aspiring martial artist or want to try it um, to check that out. And um, yeah, I, I'll be doing some stuff on ESPN and on Discovery Channel um, for BattleBots and PFL. And uh, thank you guys. Awesome. Very cool. Maybe when I get over to Tennessee, I'll come see you and we'll do some training. Yeah, man, for <laughs> sure. Yeah, I think Nashville's uh, just a few hours away. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Kenny, thank you. Right on, dude. Thank you.